Uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings 3. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to, but we're going to talk this morning about wishes and choices. Wishes and choices. Wishes and choices have something in common, and that is they relate or they reflect our desires, something that we desire. Uh, on the flip side, they're very different from each other in this way at least. Wishes generally have to do with things we can't actually produce or don't have control over. Do you know what I mean? We wish for things that we can't get otherwise, kind of like uh, magical thinking sometimes. I wish for something that I can't produce on my own. Choices, on the other hand, generally mean they reflect desires, but over things that we have control over, things that we can actually exercise uh, choice related to. Think of wishes in our culture. <clears throat> uh, make a wish upon a falling star, or see the first star of the night and make a wish, or what do you do before you blow out your birthday candles? You make a wish. If you're Irish and you find the little green guy, you can get three wishes from him, or if you're in the Middle East and find a, you know, an old brass thing, you rub it vigorously, you get the genie and you get your wishes. You know, So some outside power that could somehow make your wishes, your desires, come true. That would be a wish. Wishes uh, aren't worth a lot most of the time, are they? Because we can't exercise our wishes. We can't pull it off on ourselves. So if I wish I was tall, dark, and handsome, doesn't do me any good. Or if I wish I was wealthy or wise or wiser or whatever, you know, it doesn't make it so. But those are wishes, desires that generally we can't exercise dominion or exercise authority to bring about. Choices, on the other hand, choices reflect our desires too, but choices are made over things that we can actually do something about. So, for instance, everybody here, I guarantee you've made a bunch of choices already. This morning, before you got here, you chose when to get up, you chose if you wanted to get up, you chose if you showered or didn't, or if you ate breakfast or didn't, or what you ate for breakfast, or what you drove here, what you put on. You choose how long your hair is or what color your hair is or numbers of things, right? But you exercise choices. All of us do all the time. Now, for the most part, the vast majority of choices we make don't, don't have any significance necessarily related to the reflection upon us, character or value, or our future. Most of the choices you and I make in life, they're kind of small Small change. Uh, what I had for breakfast doesn't change the course of the rest of my life or what I put on to wear. Not, not huge issues, but choices I make every day. On the other hand, you can make choices. Some choices uh, bear hugely on your future, and they reflect your character and what you value. So think of this. I make choices about my vocation in life. It's a big choice, and it determines what my future looks like. Or I make choices about the person I marry. Huge choice. Makes a big difference about the future of my life. Or things like where I choose to live, where I go to church, how I educate my children, how I spend my money. These are things we all make choices on. And in these areas at least, and many more, they do two things at least. They reflect where we're at, what we value, and they also determine our future. They have an impact on who we're becoming and where we're going in the future. I'm convinced personally that one of the reasons the lottery or gambling in general in our country has become such a big thing is because gambling or the lottery 
looks like this thing. It's the falling star. It's the birthday candles. It's the wish come true. That is, if I could win the lottery, if I could win the million dollars or the $10 million or whatever amount, it would be more money than I have or can imagine right now, more money than I could evacuate on some of my normal decisions. That money reflects power for us, power to make wishes become choices. That things that we otherwise don't have the power to affect change over, boy, if I had that money, I could go here or there, I could live like this or like that, I could do whatever I wanted. I think gambling in general reflects the desire people have to make their wishes become reality or to make wishes into choices. Stop for just a second before we go on and ask yourself this question. If you won the lottery, or if someone won the lottery and gave you the money, or someone died and gave you a million dollars or ten million dollars, what would you do with the money? What wishes would you turn into choices, or what choices would you make in spending that money? And then, what would your choices say about what you value? about your character, what you value, and what impact would that kind of choice have on your future? What kind of person would it help you become? What would it do to affect the course of your future life? What do your wishes look like? And what do your choices look like? And what do they reveal about us? We're going to look at a story, a short story from the Old Testament here, about a guy... It's not a fairy tale about a guy, though, for whom a wish came true. He didn't wish on a falling star, but his wish became a choice, and it came true. And the guy is King Solomon, and the text is out of 1 Kings 3. And the setting is this. David has just died. Solomon's dad, King David, has just died, and Solomon has just inherited the throne. So he's a new king. He's one of many siblings, but he was the chosen one to become David's heir and successor. He's the one sitting on the throne now. But it's a big job, it's a big country, and he's feeling a little overwhelmed. Now, he's actually already started his reign. Chapter 2 tells about some of the things he's done per his dad's orders or requests before he died. But now he's going to get on with ruling this kingdom that he's inherited, and that's the setting we find here in 1 Kings 3. Starting at verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. This was a point of disobedience, actually, although it's clear Solomon wants to honor God because he's making the sacrifices to him. You'll see this come up, though, again at the end of this passage. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give to you. In a dream at night, God shows up to Solomon, and he says, Make a wish, ask me what you want. Now, this isn't just a dream dream from pizza or spices. This is a dream like Jacob's dream in Genesis when he's leaving Canaan and going to Haran God appears to him in a dream and he sees a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven and angels coming and going. It's that kind of a dream. This is God appearing to Solomon in a dream, not a normal dream. This is a special dream. God shows up in the dream and says, make a wish. What do you want? 
Now notice the progression in this. I, I love Solomon because of this. God just says, what do you want? And he doesn't just respond. Look at the progression. Look at the thoughts that Solomon goes through. The first thing he does before he asks God for something, before he makes his wish, he's reflective and he's thankful. So first he says, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. So you showed kindness to my father David. And you've reserved for him this great loving kindness that you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. You were good to my father during his life. You've been good to him in death in that you fulfilled his desire to have a son inherit the kingdom. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father. And you didn't just set one of his sons, but Lord, you were kind and you made me his heir, the next king. So he's thankful and he reflects on what God has done for him and for his father in the past. But he's also a needy guy. And so before he asks again, he reflects on his own inadequacies. And he says, yet, I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. He's not a child in age. That's not the issue. He just says, I'm walking into a big job. I have big shoes to fill, and I feel totally inadequate. And Lord, it's not just any group of people. These are your people. This is your nation. It's a big job and I feel overwhelmed. So he's given thanks. He's confessed God his own inadequacy or his own sense that the job's too big for me. And then he makes his wish. He makes his wish and he says, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. Give me wisdom, Lord, so I know how to run this group of people, this nation that is uniquely yours. Show me how I can bless you by blessing your people, the nation of Israel. Verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing, this thing being wisdom to lead God's people. God said to him, because you have asked this thing, And have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, riches and honor so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. Solomon, you'll be unique in your riches and honor. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then, this is a conditional promise, I will also prolong your days. I'll give you the long life you didn't ask for. Then Solomon woke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered burnt offerings, and made peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. The implication of this last verse, see, he's out making sacrifices to the right God, but in the wrong way and in the wrong place. And God having appeared to him, Solomon remembers 
And he goes back and he makes the sacrifices at the tabernacle in Jerusalem where God wanted him to in the first place. God honored his heart, uh, set towards God in the first place, but then also called him back and Solomon obeyed after receiving God's grace in this dream. Well, I'm going to walk through five steps related to this process of God's appearing to Solomon. The first one is this. It appears in this question, make a wish, what do you want? God's offering, in a sense, Solomon a blank check. What do you want? In other words, Solomon could ask for anything. Now, the Lord articulates some things he didn't ask for. Uh, One is long life. Now, you know, almost anyone you would meet today or through history wants to live a long life. Most people do. Some don't, but that's certainly the exception. But especially for the Jews under the covenant to live a long life in the land of Israel, that was heaven on earth. That was considered the best thing you could hope for. So to ask for long life as a Jew during this period in the land of Israel, this would have been a natural desire. Long life in the land of Israel, this was the promise of God. In fact, if you remember the covenant in Deuteronomy, long life, blessed in prosperity in Israel, that was the, prom- that was the blessing that it would accompany obedience if you were a Jew under the law. So long life, Solomon could have asked for and didn't. Many people today would still say the same thing. Lord, I... I want to live a long time on the earth. God says he also could have chosen riches. Riches. Now, I mean, I think if you took polls today, if you ask people what do they want, I think money would be at the top of the list. For most of us, money. And God says about Solomon, you could have chosen riches or wealth. He is a king, but as you know, Solomon will later write this wisest of the wise, We'll later write that the eyes never satisfied with seeing, the ears never satisfied with hearing. If you're wealthy, what do you want? More wealth, you know, whatever. If you're popular or famous, what do you want? More fame. So more of the same thing isn't necessarily helpful. God says to Solomon, you could have asked for riches. If someone asked, if we were talking about our wishes today, maybe many of us would say, I'd take some more money, Lord. That blank check, yeah, make it out in my name and I'll fill in the blank. He says, you also could have asked for the life of your enemies. Now, this could mean a couple things. It it could mean you could take revenge on people who have hurt you or hurt your nation in the past. You could ask for revenge, vengeance. Or maybe in asking for the life of your enemy, you could maintain that you're going to be successful, that no one's going to be able to come in, any of your neighbors, and take over your kingdom or harm you or the nation. But he didn't ask for that either. Maybe we would say something like, I want to be protected from all harm. That would be my wish. Solomon doesn't ask for any of these things. Now, the fact that God comes and offers Solomon this blank check, uh, this is not a gamble for God, is it? Right? Because God knows everything, right? He's omniscient. When he asks Solomon the question, he knows Solomon's answer before Solomon gives it. So he offers Solomon a blank check, as it were, I assume in large part because he knows Solomon's up to the task. You know, sometimes we want more responsibility than we can handle. Sometimes I want to tell the Lord what he can bless me with, and he chooses not to. And I assume that among a host of other potential reasons, one might be, Mike, you can't handle it. You're not up to it. Here, he makes this make-a-wish statement to Solomon because he knows Solomon's up to it. He knows Solomon's heart. He knows that he can make him this offer. So Solomon could have asked for anything, 
God in his omniscience, of course, knows what he will ask for. And God's able to come to him and say, make a wish because I'm going to fulfill it. The second thing I notice here is that this is in a dream. It's in a dream. So for me, one of the the things that comes to my mind about this is there's no one else around. It's just God and it's just Solomon. If you and I are in a group discussion and I ask you in a group, what's your wish? You might be swayed by the desire to impress others to give a spiritual answer or something that would make others think highly of you. Your choice, your wish, what you choose anyway to reflect to others in a group might be one thing and your personal desire might actually be quite another. See, in this, this is just a private meeting. No one else is around. There's no one else to impress. It's just God and Solomon. So what comes out of Solomon's mouth is really his heart. It's just between he and the Lord. There's no attempt to impress anyone else. There's no one else around to impress. It's this private meeting, just God and just Solomon. And when you and I are alone, not with others, this is the time to ask yourself the question, what do I really value? Not when I'm telling someone else, but just between the Lord and I, if I'm making my wish, what is it? Unaffected by the desire to impress anybody else, what is it? It's between us and the Lord that the truth normally comes out, not in the presence of others. The third thing is that Solomon's choice did reflect his character his character, and what he valued, right? In fact, I think Solomon's, I think this wish, this scene is a great example of an Old Testament character who knew the value of the law. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus is asked, what's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus volunteered, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see what Solomon's choice reflects? He says to God, I'm not putting my own desires before you. Lord, I'm putting you and your people above anything I might personally be able to gain from you giving me this opportunity. He says, he keeps saying, if you remember, your people, God, these are your people. So when he says, give me wisdom, it's not so that he can be famous and wise. He says, Lord, give me wisdom so that I know how to lead your people. You see, he's putting God and others first. This choice, his wish, it reflects his character. It reflects what he values. He's willing, given this blank check, to say, God, I want to honor you and I want to help others before I'm going to grab something for myself. It reflected his character and what he valued. He valued God and he valued the nation above his own desires or needs. The fourth thing is Solomon's choice shaped the rest of his life. Now Solomon blew it, by the way, in in big and little ways. In the front end of his life, a verse I didn't read, he makes an alliance with Pharaoh by marrying an Egyptian. Probably not a wise choice. Later in his life, if you know the story, he makes some really lousy choices related to the gals he hooks up with and other things. And the way it turns his heart, no offense to the women here intended, <clears throat> but if you read, you read the story of Solomon, 1 Kings 1 or 3 through 11, you read that story. It's under Solomon that Israel as a nation reaches its pinnacle. They never, outside of his reign, enjoyed the geographic expanse. It was as big as it ever got under Solomon. 
or the wealth. If you read those texts, it says gold was as common as silver, silver was as common as iron. The wealth that flowed into Jerusalem and Israel during this time was unprecedented before or after. Also, religiously and spiritually, Solomon, of course, builds the temple. And one of the great Old Testament passages often overlooked, at the dedication of the temple, what happens? Solomon says, Lord, you know, the heaven of heavens is not big enough to contain you. And this, this little building, why it's not good enough to be your footstool, but you've wanted it, here it is. And what does God do? God comes down in a cloud of glory and inhabits the temple. And Israel, geographically, politically, spiritually, wealth, whatever you name it, the pinnacle, the height of height for Israel as a nation is under Solomon. No one before or after like him. Wisest man that ever lived on the earth besides the Son of God. No one like him. No one can compare to him. The wisdom books we have in the Old Testament, written by Solomon. So this choice he made, this make-a-wish choice, it set the pattern for the rest of his life. By the way, you know, oftentimes you'll find Solomon went up to Gibeon to sacrifice, and this was very intentional, but he didn't know that God was going to appear to him in a dream that night. And he didn't know that he was setting the course for the next 40 years of his life and the nation when he lay down to go to sleep that night. And just as a reminder, most of us don't know from one day to the next what that day is going to hold and what decision it might require of us and how that might change the course of our life. Do you know what I mean? That is, any day... I might be called on to make a wish, a choice, a decision that's going to affect the way I live, that's going to reflect my values. And God doesn't necessarily wake me up in the morning and say, get ready. Here it comes. But it comes anyway. And that's a good thing because, in that sense, it helps us reflect where we're really at, what we really value, and it does have implications for our future. This decision, this wish, this choice certainly did for him and for the nation. And then the last, maybe in my mind the most important, Solomon's desire to put God and God's people first allowed God to bless Solomon in ways he could not have otherwise. Listen to what he says at verse 11 again. Because you asked this thing, wisdom to honor me and serve the nation, and not for yourself, I've given you a wise discerning heart and... I've given you what you have not asked for, riches and honor. God says, Solomon, because you put me in my things first, I'm going to give you the things you could have asked for but didn't. I'm going to give you the riches, the wealth, and the honor that you chose not to pursue so that you could honor me, put me in my things first. Does this sound familiar? I hope it does. Matthew 6.33 says, If you'll seek me, my me, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. If you'll do that first, then God will give you all these other things that you need. In fact, the context there is great, by the way. Solomon's mentioned in, this, in that passage, Matthew 6 and 7. It says, Solomon in all his splendor wasn't arrayed like the flowers of the field. And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you put God and His things first and He'll take care of these other things, Jesus is saying, don't be like the Gentiles. They worry about all these things, what they'll eat, what they'll wear, their house, their car, their job, their income, etc. See, the thing Solomon could have asked for, give me money and then I'll, 
All my wishes and choices are good to go. No. In that context, Jesus says, look, forget those other things. Don't worry about them. You do this one thing. And God promises to take care of the rest of those things that you'd be tempted to worry about otherwise. Do you know why this is particularly liberating and freeing for us, just on our end? It's because it takes things and it removes them from the arena of the idols and it leaves them things. Because Solomon said to God, give me wisdom to lead your people and honor you, he didn't make an idol out of being the king. He didn't make an idol out of wealth or honor. So because he knew God was God and things were things, he put God first and God blessed him with the things. For you and I, many times I'm convinced the wishes or the choices we wish we could exercise would be actually idols in our life. They would be things that would displace God from first place. So God says to us, and he, as he said to Solomon, if you put me and my things first, the, all those other things that you'd be tempted to worry about otherwise, I'll take care of them. In fact, this makes it simple. Forget about the details of all those other things. Just do do this one thing, put me first, seek my righteousness, put me first, and I'll take care of the details of your life. I love this. This is something I can live with. And it frees me. And then God's God and things aren't. And then he can bless me with the things I'd be tempted to worry about otherwise. Ask yourself again, if you won the lottery, what would you do? Or better yet, if God shows up to you tonight in a dream and offers you the blank check, what do you write in the blank? If God gives you the blank check, what do you write in? Ask yourself this too. How are you spending the checks God gives you now? That is, you know, He gives you life every day, and we're all eating okay. None of us are starving. We've got time and energy and money, and if you want to know pretty much what you do with more money, ask yourself what you're doing with the money you've got. If you want to know what you do with more time, longer life, ask yourself what you're doing with the time you have right now, with today. Uh, what you're doing right now is a pretty good prediction of what you do with more of the same in the future. If God gives you the blank check, if he says, make a wish, what would it be? There's a New Testament example of this, too. It's almost the same phrase, entirely different circumstance, though. This is out of Luke 18. Jesus is approaching Jericho. And listen to the story. Different character altogether, but same question. Jesus was approaching Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the road begging. Not a king on a throne. A blind man on the side of the road. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. They're embarrassed, of course. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. By the way, when he says, says son of David, he's ascribing Messiahship to Jesus. Son of David is a messianic title. He says, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Messiah sent by God. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? What wish do you want me to grant for you? What choice would you like to exercise here? 
What do you want me to do? It's a blank check. He said, and he didn't have to think about this. He said, Lord, to regain my sight. I want to see again. Regain my sight. Had seen in the past, knew what he'd lost, and says, I want to see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. I want to make sure you get this. His faith, uh, people can contort this. His faith was in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. Jesus says, your faith in me has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight, began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. When Jesus walks along that road and he asks the blind beggar what he wants, he doesn't have to think. It's spontaneous. In fact, I think it's like if you've got a balloon full of air or water and you poke it, you know, whatever's in it just flows out. It's under pressure. And it's forced out immediately. And oftentimes you and I are like the blind guy or the balloon. That is, don't have to think long or hard. What's there? Poke the balloon and what comes out? You know, if you were faced, if you were the blind man by the road today, and God said, what do you want? What would your first immediate response be? Not what you think over. You know, sometimes, this sounds a little different than Solomon's dream, but it's actually quite close. Both of them had this overriding sense of personal deficiency and need. And the person asking them the question, they know has the ability to correct their own deficiency. And they know the person they're asking it of. Solomon knew this was God. Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the blind man knew who Jesus was. He calls him son of David. You're the Messiah. You're the sent one of God. I know who you are. And he is filled with the sense of need. By the way, you know, sometimes um, Solomon's answer sounds kind of spiritual in a sense, but he was overwhelmed by his need, his deficiency in being able to lead Israel. Just as the blind man was overwhelmed with his desire to see and When I'm asking you this question or when you ask yourself the question, what's my wish? What would my choice be? It doesn't have to be to save the world. It doesn't have to be world peace. It doesn't have to be even to be a a better person. Sometimes for you and I, honesty before the Lord is, Lord, I just need help to whatever. I'm wretched. I can't change my life here. I've got constant failure here. It could be something that by other... People's standards might be quite mundane. But for you at the time, it could be heaven and hell. Life or death, that one thing. And this guy, you know, he's going to live forever. He had faith in Christ. He's going to live forever. If he'd lived the rest of his life on earth blind, small potatoes in the big picture, because he's got eternity to see. But that one thing, that's what he wanted. Lord, I just want to see again. Okay, you can have it. Sometimes for you and I, it may not seem super spiritual, but that might be the, where we're at. That might be what we would need to ask God for. Lord, I, I want to see, or Lord, whatever. I mean, there's a million and one things we might feel desperate or personal need over. And if God asked us, make a wish, it might not be for a fortune. It might not be for health. It might not be for the salvation of Uncle Fred. It might be for whatever overwhelmed with some sense of personal need. I love this guy too. 
Because he doesn't care what everybody's saying around him. You know, most of us are quite embarrassed in public settings, or easily embarrassed, right? He's yelling. He didn't know how far Jesus is. He's yelling in a crowd that's saying, please don't embarrass us. Quit embarrassing yourself. I met a guy years ago, and we had this meeting, a business meeting. I'm in his house with his family, and his son is throwing a temper tantrum. And the dad keeps saying, you're embarrassing yourself. Well, no, he wasn't. He was embarrassing dad, but Junior didn't know any embarrassment. Well, the blind man, he's not embarrassed. See, he's got a need that, that overarches any concern about what anybody there thinks about him. He hears Jesus is coming by, and he knows Jesus is the solution to his need, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. So he yells out in the first place, unashamed, I know that man's my answer. And then when Jesus says, what do you want? He doesn't hesitate. He lays it out. I want to see. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He just wants to see. I love this guy. <clears throat> in my youth, I was a young man once. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't have this dream, this wish, vision. In fact, I was a, a muddled, muddled individual. Uh, but I did know this. I knew that I wanted a family. I knew I wanted to get married and have kids and, and have a family. And I met this gal that I thought was okay, you know, that I, I might want to marry. And, you know, she wasn't too bad looking and was, you know, kind of nice. And <laughs> Yeah, that's my wife. And uh, actually, I thought I was going to die if I couldn't have her. But uh, we talked about getting married. And because of a, a series of things, I knew that in the end, uh, my dad had told me no. That is, God had said no. So, yeah, I had to tell her, I, I can't, can't do this. And quite honestly, at the time, I told God what a big mistake he was making. I told him that he was ruining the rest of my life. Uh, but that he was his prerogative, you know, that he didn't know what he was doing, that I would be miserable. But, hey, if that's the way you want it, you know, my bottom line was, I knew I couldn't cross my dad. I, I knew whatever else, I couldn't cross my dad. This would not be the thing to do, even though uh, I let him know this was not pleasing to me. But the truth was, in doing that, uh, the Lord liberated me. Uh, because he compelled me to put him and his things first, then he was free to bless me. And he has. So Kathy and I have been married 25 years in July, one month away. 25 years in July. Uh, it's not been perfect by any means, she'll tell you, I'm sure. But we've had 25 outstanding years. It's been all that I could have asked for. If God had said, make a wish for a family, this would have been it. This 25 years would have been it. And not just Kathy, but the girls. And none of them are perfect either. We have our time, certainly, but... I'm, it's been absolutely great. More than I could have asked for. Blessed beyond blessing, beyond asking. It required, though, putting God and his things first. In fact, I've told many people, uh, I attribute the blessing that God's given our family to saying no to marrying my wife because God basically was saying he wasn't going to build on a foundation of sand, which is what it would have been otherwise. We had to get some things in order before... Uh, we could honor him in getting married. And now I find myself as a middle-aged kind of a guy with my daughters basically grown. Well, now I'm facing a new era. Let's just say I lived to 75. I'm almost 50. I've only got about a third of my life left. But 
it's a new it's a new time of my life. So I find myself kind of mentally going through the same process again. I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. See, my vision didn't go further than raising a family. That's all I knew. I'm as muddled now as I was then. <laughs> Lord, I've got the rest of my life to live. What do you want me to do? I ask myself this question. Literally, I've asked myself repeatedly before preparing for this teaching. Lord, if you asked me, what do you want, Mike? I don't know what I'd tell you. If you said, Mike, here's a blank check, fill it in, I wouldn't know what to write. I don't know. As I thought about it this last week, I think one thing I would say, uh, and this isn't for the benefit of, uh, I would ask God, I think, uh, for holiness or something like this. And I say it for this reason. I've been around long enough, I've enjoyed enough things, I've had enough failure, etc., that you really do gain some sense of perspective. More money would be a bigger house. Yeah, that'd be nice, and it'd be a bigger house. Or, do you know what I mean? That these things are nice, but they're not life. But you know, on the other hand, I live with myself every day. And I see all my deficiencies. And the truth is, guys, the closer you walk with Christ, the more you walk with Christ over the years, the truth is, the more sinful you realize you really are. And I realize that there's more of the old Adam about myself, the old earthly, sinful, corrupt individual, than there is the heavenly Christ. And because I know that to know Christ is to experience life, I think, man, Lord, I, I think if I need something, I, I need more of you. I need more. So holiness, uh, to, be, to be less attached to my sinful desires, to be less affected by my corrupt nature, to be freer to enjoy and see and appreciate Christ, that would be more life. I think that something along that line would be my desire. But, but related to life on the earth, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, besides drawing near the Lord, which we'll do for eternity, uh, I don't know what I'd, what I'd ask for. That one thing I think I would. As we wind down... Ask yourself that question, just between you and the Lord, not to impress anyone else. If the Lord shows up in your dream and he says, make a wish, what do you wish for? If he says, I'm going to give you a million dollars, or I'm going to give you the blank check and I'm going to let you fill it in, what's your choice? What wish becomes your choice if God gives you that? And then, and and by the way, when you do this, just... Uh, Be honest with yourself and then ask yourself this question. Would my response, would it be like Solomon's? Would it be like the blind man's by the road? That is, would it reflect the real needs in my life as God sees them? Would it reflect putting God and his things first? Would the real response to my make-a-wish invitation, would it be something God would and could honor? And if it isn't, then ask the Lord between you and him, Lord, I realize I'm valuing things you don't value. I love things you hate. I hate things you love. Lord, help me to gain more of your perspective. Along with that, I would really encourage you, all of us have areas in our life in which we do feel overwhelmed, inadequate, weighed down, whatever. And I would encourage you to do this. 
that you unload, whether it's, Lord, I want to see, or Lord, I've got a sin, I've got a habit, I'm inadequate as a parent, I have insufficient financial resources. Whatever those issues are in your life in which you feel the pressure, you feel the inadequacy, you tell the Lord about them. You know, he said, come to me when you're weak or weary, you feel weighed down. He says, take my yoke, it's light, I'll pull, you just walk along. His yoke's easy. Give to him the real areas of your life in which you just feel like you don't cut it. You're inadequate. The needs are too great for your resources. Then let me close with this verse. I love this psalm and I love these verses. And these were penned by Solomon's dad, King David. It's from Psalm 37. And David said this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, stay where he puts you, and cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful right where he's put you with all the things he's given you. You delight yourself in the Lord. You make the Lord your delight, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to be able to make a good wish? You want to be able to fill out a check and have no regrets? David says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of, the heart, of your heart. He'll be able to because your desires will be in line with Him and His priorities. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will do it. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Let's pray. Lord, I'm delighted by these passages in which blind men and kings were given that make-a-wish statement. And Lord, in both cases, these men knew who you were. And Lord, their hearts overflowed with their own sense of need. Lord, one to see and another to gain spiritual insight or wisdom. Father, all of us, James says, err in many ways. Lord, our heart is as often as not in the wrong place. Help us to be like Solomon. Lord, he erred on one hand, offering sacrifices in the wrong place. But you were gracious to him. You gave him a choice. He chose to honor you. Then he followed through and he obeyed. Or Lord, the blind man by the road, given a wish, regained his sight from the Messiah Jesus and then glorified you. Lord, help us to put you and your things first to honor you and worship you as we should and as is only your due. And Lord, also because I know that as we do that, you're free to bless us in all the ways you want to. Lord, we know that you gave us your son and that you wouldn't withhold any good thing in light of that. Lord, we cast ourselves at your feet. We declare that we are bankrupt without you. We are empty vessels, Lord, and we ask you to fill our cups. In Jesus' name, amen.